This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover Range by David Epstein, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. This is book 18 of 52 from my 2020 reading list. On page 289 of this book, David Epstein, the author, says this is the reason that he got interested in this this topic. This is what he said. The question I set out to explore was how to capture and cultivate the power of breadth diverse experience, and interdisciplinary exploration within systems that increasingly demand hyper-specialization and would have you decide what you should be before first figuring out who you are, end quote. So basically, uh, something that got him interested in in this this idea and made him want to pursue it more is, is it okay to go broad in a narrow world? Can you be successful if you pursue a wide range of, of interests, of, of pursuits, or do you need to be specialized? You're going to hear an awful lot that, that you do need to be specialized, that you need to choose what you want to be. You need to, you need to decide on a major. You need to, to do this. You need to specialize. Uh, but, but David Epstein says, you know, what if, what if, what if that's wrong? What if, what if the generalists triumph? Uh, and, and if they do, Why? And so those are the types of questions that this book deals with. Epstein says, we live in a wicked world. And by wicked, he means one in which there is not enough information. There's not enough data. You're never going to have 100% certainty in any situation, whether that's a business problem, a personal struggle, or, or even which path to choose in life. So with, with that in mind, with this, with this wicked world idea in mind, what is the best method for approaching the this world in these types of situations is it to have a very particular set of specialization or to have a broad range and as you can probably tell by the title epstein thinks it's best to have range and this book is just full of stories ideas and advice to push that idea forward now if you naturally side on the on on being a generalist this book will give you permission to expand that further. But if you're more on the side of, of, of specialization and, and thinking that that is the, the best way to move forward, this book will challenge you to broaden your range in a way that may even enhance what you are specialized in. Just being able to maybe bring an outside perspective or, or a different way of, of thinking about things. As for who this book is for, I, I kept thinking as, as I was reading this, this, this would be a great book for executives or, or leaders of, of people, leaders of teams uh, in, in any capacity. If, if you're the type of person in, that is, is hiring, uh, if that's your role in a company, this, this book would be very helpful just in, in thinking about the type of, of person that you want to hire. Do you want to hire a specialist or, or a generalist? And and, and even further th- further to that, what if your company is stuck on a particular problem? What if there is something that you need to solve, but the people within your company cannot solve it? How can you mine expertise from outside of your organization? 
And this book get gets into some ideas on, on ways to do that. This is also a really good book for, for parents. And I'll get into that in, in a, a segment of this episode on, on just advice, uh, ideas for, for parents on, on how to create, uh, <laughs> not how to create, that's, that's a different kind of book, how to encourage your, your children to, to uh, have a, a, a range of, of interests in, in allowing them to pursue them and not encouraging them to specialize too, too early. Uh, a few stats for the book. I, uh, it took me almost eight hours to read it. It was seven hours, and 56 minutes, and that was over six days. So that was uh, uh, roughly 49 pages per day, which for this year has been on the high end. Uh, so I, I enjoyed this book and, and, and got through it rather, rather quickly. As for who suggested it, I heard about it first on the Econ Talk podcast with Russ Roberts, and he interviewed David Epstein on the podcast, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And I just remember uh, listening to that episode and, and hearing about authors and ideas that I had come across in other books for this project. So if you're unfamiliar with the Books of Titans project, I read 52 books a year, and they're they're across a wide range of different types of books. And I set that, that list in advance, and I get ideas of, of what books to read from, from all over the place, but I've read some amazing books for this project, and a lot of those books came up in range. It's like uh, Epstein took a lot of these ideas and, and compiled them and, and put them together in, in this book. And so that, that's what really got me interested in that. And, and in fact, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to start with in the next segment. This episode will actually be four segments, so... What we just what we just did that was segment one. Uh, going into segment two, I'm going to tie together a lot of the ideas from with from range from this book to other books that I've read for this project. And I I just I think one of the most powerful things in reading is to read a wide variety of books, a wide range of books. And within that, one surprise from this project is just to see to see similar ideas pop up across all these different types of books. So for instance, in um, the second book I read, Old Man and the Sea by Hemingway, there's this, there's this idea of, uh, of the importance of time. And so you see that in, in, in a novel. You see that in a work of fiction, the importance of time. But then you'll see that come up in a biography. And you'll see it come up in, in a productivity book. Uh, you'll see it come up in in another type of book, and so you you just see these ideas uh, pop up in in different ways, but in a wide range of books. So I'm going to highlight some of those books that uh, that I thought of while reading Range, and then also that uh, that David Epstein references himself, either the author or the book. Segment three, I'm going to humbly tell you how to raise your child. Uh, so that should be a not very non-confrontational segment. I'm just kidding. That uh, I'm just going to take some different ideas from this book on on how to raise your children, or, or just ideas for um, for increasing that that range for your children. And then in segment four, the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. Now on to segment two and relating this book range to other books that I've read for the Books of Titans project. So the first uh, is a set of books, and, and that is AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee, and then also Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. And in, in those both of those books, there is a discussion about artificial intelligence 
and the algorithms behind that and how those will eat alive jobs of specialists. So algorithms are very good at taking a particular task, perfecting it, and then just doing it over and over. So if, if you if you have a job where you are specialized in, in one particular thing, and maybe it's, it's work you do on a, on a computer, and it's just a, it's a repetitive task, well, al- algorithms are going to come along and be able to do that better than you are with fewer mistakes, faster, and they can work 24 hours a day. So you do not want to be a specialist in that scenario. And I remember when I read Homo Deus, that was one of the main takeaways I had from that book. So in in range, Epstein talks about uh, artificial intelligence, and, and he says this, AI needs stable structures and narrow worlds. Now think back to segment one, where I talked about Epstein's idea of this wicked world, this world where we, we never have all the information we need. And on top of that, the world is constantly changing. So AI needs stable structures and narrow worlds. That's not what the wicked world is like. And so if AI has the ability to take out specialists, well, it's better to have range. It's better to have a broader range. And so all, the, all three of those books, Range, AI Superpowers, and Homo Deus, all put that that idea across. The next book is Outliers. Uh, I thought about Outliers a lot. And the 10,000 hour rule was made popular in that book by Malcolm Gladwell. It shows up a lot in range here. And the 10,000 hour rule it was was first uh, put forward by Anders Ericsson, who uh, unfortunately just passed away recently. But it's this idea if you put if if, if you put in 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, uh, you you will become a a master, or you will be in the top of your field if, if you do that. And in range, Epstein says, he, he, he takes that idea of the, the 10,000 hours, the deliberate practice, but he says, you don't want to do that when you're young. You want to start doing that deliberate practice when you're older. When you're young, you want to be able to experiment. But a lot of the advice out there, especially the parenting advice, is oh, you got you you know you want to you want to get your kid in on a sport, and then you want to have them just you start doing that ten thousand hour rule. And, and, and the very first example in the book is Tiger Woods. You know, Tiger Woods is not even a, a year old or, or like a one one year old, and, and is playing golf already. His dad's got him on. And then uh, I remember reading Open uh, the the Andre Agassi story and, and same thing. His dad just had him hitting balls all day with, at the tennis courts and, and kind of putting forward this idea of I'm, I'm going to make you a tennis player. I'm going to make you a golfer. And we're going to do that through these just endless hours of practice. Uh, Andre Agassi thinking that he, they, that he hit, you know, well over a million balls. Um, so in this book though, range, don't do the deliberate practice early. It's it's important to experiment when young, and then if if you do want to to do the deliberate practice, you, you want to start that older. Next up, thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman shows up a lot in this book, and there's one area in particular. I'm going to read a section here. Forecasters can improve by generating a list of separate events with deep structural similarities rather than focusing only on internal details of the specific event in question, end quote. This comes in a section where they're talking about uh, if you've got a, a, a business problem uh, or, or you're trying to 
figure out how long a, pro- a business project is going to take you. And all you're re- relying on is, is your past projects within that company, you are going to estimate incorrectly the majority of the time. It's better to look at other companies or other organizations and see it, similar projects that, that they have done and to see how long that those take. That's a better way to, to plan. And Kahneman calls the, uh, Kahneman and Tversky uh, call this the planning fallacy. Uh, but again, Thinking Fast and Slow, that is really a foundational book. You're going to see that book pop up all over the place. And this is another book range here where Thinking Fast and Slow by, by Kahneman shows up. I thought a lot about Walter Isaacson when reading this book. Uh, Isaacson, I, I love his his books, but uh, one, one thing I, I always get uncomfortable with when I'm, when I'm reading books by Walter Isaacson is how much he talks about the importance of teams over the importance of individuals. So let me read one section from Range here and then tie that back in with, with books by Walter, Walter Isaacson. All right, here we go. Individual creators started out with lower innovativeness than teams. They were less likely to produce a smash hit, but as their experience broadened, they actually surpassed teams. An individual creator who had worked in four or more genres was more innovative than a team whose members had collective experience across the same numbers of jo- number of genres. Taylor and Greaves suggested that individuals are capable of more creative integration of diverse experiences than teams are, end quote. I, I loved that. I, I, I thought that was very insightful. And I, I, get, I guess I, I've seen that uh, just in different experiences in my life. And, and so I, I would always get uncomfortable with these Walter Isaacson books because he's writing about people like Steve Jobs and, and Leonardo da Vinci. And, and he's talking about the teams around them and how important the teams were. I'm thinking, no, like, yeah, Steve Jobs had some good people around him, but like, he, he was a unique person. And then da Vinci, uh, Isaacson has a section where he talks about the the Da Vinci studio and how important that was to Da Vinci. And it's like, yeah, but it's Da Vinci. Like he, he was also a, uh, an individual and with a broad range of, of uh, interests and, and you, y- you would still have Da Vinci without this team. And so I, I was always struck by that. So I'm, I'm glad for this section in, in range that, uh, that talked about in, in, with some of that research there of, of individuals with a broad range would, would have a better ability of solving problems or, or thinking through problems than, than even a team might. So I, I thought that was really interesting uh, counterpoint to some of the things that frustrate me in the Walter Isaacson books that, that I really do enjoy. Next up, The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. That was actually book one of this entire project, the very first first book I read for this project in 2017. And let me read uh, first, though, from, from Range. This is page 273 in the hardcover. An enthusiastic, even childish, playful streak is a recurring theme in research on creative thinkers. Art historian Sarah Lewis studies creative achievement and described Gemmon's mindset as representative of the deliberate amateur. The word amateur, she pointed out, does not originate as as an insult, but comes from the Latin word for a person who adores a particular endeavor, end quote. So that, uh, that, 
that idea stuck out to me, the deliberate amateur. And it made me think back to The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly because he he talks about the endless newbie. So deliberate amateurs and endless newbie. Either way, you like to think about that. The idea here is that you are always coming at something f- fresh. You're, you're coming at something, something f- as a newbie and, and not, not worrying about that, not, not thinking that you need to have everything together or if you're a certain age that you should know certain things. Uh, I, I remember my, my first job, I remember somebody high up in the company and, and I would be in these meetings and somebody high up in the company would ask questions I thought were, were silly, but everyone else had those same questions but no one else was brave enough to ask them because they thought they would look dumb. But this person, by asking those questions, was actually learning and not assuming that everyone else knew it either. And so it was, it was, it was that idea of of being a deliberate amateur. And I love too that they they talk uh, in range here. He he talks about the Latin word is, for amateur is a person who adores a particular endeavor. So just approaching approaching new things with that with that type of mindset. Uh, last idea here that I that I saw come up in, I'll talk about uh, Walter Isaacson again, in his book about Einstein. And Einstein would, would I mean, he's, he's dealing with these with crazy ideas and, and ideas that had never been put forth before. And, and Einstein would use analogies a, a lot of the times just to, to help people think about different things. And in, in range, that is an, an idea that comes up a lot. And, and people who have a broad range, they are able to think of problems in, in a different way. They're able to think about it from one area of interest and then apply it to another. And, but they're also able to communicate it through analogies. So that, that's another idea I, uh, that popped up in, in Einstein by Isaacson, but then also is, is all over the book here, uh, Range by Epstein. Now into segment three and the tongue-in-cheek, how to raise a child. So there's a lot of good ideas in this book, and, and so I thought I'd have some fun with that and, and share ideas on how to, how to raise a generalist child. So the first is this idea of deliberate practice, which I mentioned in segment two. It's best when they're young to let them experiment. So don't just put them in soccer and you know start the 10,000 hours of soccer practice when they're Three, have them do different sports and and get different abilities in different sports. And then maybe when they're older and they are showing it a special talent for, for soccer, uh, they will be better off at that point to then really go deep into the deliberate practice, the, the 10,000 hours at that point, as opposed to doing that when they're young. Same with musical instruments, uh, better to, to do a range of instruments when they're young. Let them experiment. The deliber- deliberate practice that 10,000 hours can come when they are older. When they're learning, let them struggle. If you aren't struggling, you aren't learning, is what Epstein says. So let them struggle. If uh, one, one thing I've been doing with, with my daughter lately is uh, she, she likes writing books. Like She wants to publish a book. She just turned six, and so she will bring me a set of, a set of papers and then uh, I have the stapler in my office, and so she says, "Can you staple these together? I'm going to write a I'm going to write a book," and so I'll staple those together. And then uh, she wants me to spell out every single word for her. Then, and 
it's better for me to, to, instead of just spelling out whatever word she's wanting to write for her book, it's better for me to say, well, how do you think you spell that? Let, let's sound it out and to let her struggle. And yes, it takes a lot longer. And, you know, I could probably spell out the word in, in five seconds, but we're probably sitting there a minute or two minutes, but she's struggling. She's struggling to think of the letters, to think of, of the sounds and what those might, might, uh, might, how, how you might spell that word. And that struggle is helping her learn better than, than giving out hints. So again, Epstein says, let them struggle. Next, chunking. This idea of chunking information, and you will be able to recall it better by, by chunking. And there's a section where uh, they had chess grandmasters, and there would be a truck that would drive by these grandmasters, and the, and the grandmasters could look up for a second and see this board that's on this truck driving by. It's, it's a, a, a chess board in the middle of a game, and they could look up at this board really quickly as the truck's passing, and then they had to recall what was on that chess board. And the grandmasters were able to do that. But they didn't remember every single piece where it was. What they did is they, they would chunk and so here, here's uh, this section. The grandmasters never had photographic memories after all. Through repetitive study of game patterns, they had learned to do what Chase and Simon called chunking. Rather than struggling to remember the location of every individual pawn, bishop, and rook, the brains of elite players grouped pieces into a smaller number of meaningful chunks based on familiar patterns. Those patterns allow expert players to immediately act, uh, assess the situation based on experience. Which is why Gary Kasparov told me that grandmasters usually know their moves within seconds. For Susan Polger, when the van drove by the first time, the diagram was, was not 28 items, but five different meaningful chunks that indicated how the game was progressing. End quote. He then goes on to, to, to talk about musicians, and, and musicians would be, would be able to hear an entire piece of music and to play it back right away, like the entire piece. But if the song was atonal, they could not do that. They, they could not remember the, the song. So in the musician's mind, they're, they're chunking together different riffs, different, different uh, segments of the song to where they're remembering it in, in that way. So it, it was a neat idea. And, and in just thinking of it, of how do you teach a child to do that? And part of it is is range and and having a broad range of experiences within almost within a specialization but but a broad range within that and having a lot of experience and so this would almost seem like it's going down more towards the deliberate practice and specialization but if you're able to think about things in a different way kind of that um that idea uh, in, in segment two with Einstein and, and using analogies, uh, using analogy, analogies and, and chunking ideas, you're able to recall better. And you don't need to recall every single thing, but chunking will allow you to, to make quicker decisions. Next up, Epstein encourages people to take a job, any job, and to fail early in that job. So that's opposed to you know, wait, waiting to find your, yourself and, and what you're, what you want to specialize in it's, no, just take a job, any job. He, he gives the example of this, this successful person who 
their first job was at McDonald's. And that person still lists that on their resume because they learned so much about themselves, about what they like, about good bosses, bad bosses. So in, in raising your child and, and once they get to the age of, of, of joining the workforce, do you encourage them to just sit in a room and try to figure out who they are and, and what they want to become? Or do you have them take a job, any job, and learn and fail in that job, and, but fail early and, and learn from that? Uh, he would say, take, take the job, any job, and, and move forward. This, this was cool. Uh, the the, the Duckwork, Duckworth book uh, about grit. Uh, he said, don't ask if they are gritty. Ask when they are gritty and for what they are gritty. So instead of just asking, is this person gritty in general? Is my child gritty in general? Do they have the grit to stick to something and, and, and see it through? Um, and, and should they have that for everything? Uh, instead of, of asking if they're a gritty person, ask them what they're gritty about and then let that kind of guide, guide you into, into their interests. Um, and obvious one at the end here, the purpose of school is to learn how to learn. If your child is not learning how to learn, but is learning how to become a test taker or learning how to, to just get by the, with the assignments, they're not learning how to learn. And the most important thing is to be able to learn how to learn because chances are they're going to be working in a field that may not even be available at this point. I do website development when I was in college that you couldn't even, you couldn't take classes on that. So the important thing is to learn how to learn with such a, a, a rapidly changing and as Epstein calls it, a wicked world. Now into segment four in the one thing, this is my one key takeaway from this book. And if you have not listened to the podcast before, I, I end each episode with the one thing, my one key takeaway. And the reason why is that I found that if I try to remember five things from a book or 10 things or 20 things, I would end up not remembering any of them. But if I just focused on remembering one thing, I would remember that one thing but it would also help me to remember other things from the book. So I, I would wind up remembering more things by just focusing on one thing as opposed to trying to remember all of the 5, 10, 15, 20 great points in the book. And so this book had a lot of great things and a lot of things to remember. But the one thing that sticks with me is this idea of undiscovered public knowledge. Let me read the paragraph where this comes up. In crisis, Swanson saw opportunity. He realized he could make discoveries by connecting information from scientific articles in subspecialty domains that never cited one another and that had no scientists who worked together. For example, by systematically cross-referencing databases of literature from different disciplines, he uncovered 11 neglected connections between magnesium deficiency and migraine research and proposed that they be tested. All of the information he found was in the public domain. It had just never been connected. Undiscovered public knowledge, Swanson called it. In 2012, the American Headache Society and the American Academy of Neurology reviewed all of the research on migraine prevention and concluded that magnesium should be considered as a common treatment. The evidence for magnesium was as strong as the evidence for the most common remedies, like ibuprofen. End quote. So here's this guy who just had a wide range of, of interests, and he's, he uh, would read all these different scientific articles. 
and he was able to put things together that, that no one else had. It reminded me of this quote I read by Rudy Giuliani probably 15 years ago in his book, Leadership. And I, and I know he's, you know, got political thing going on now and is not, not well liked. But at the time, you know, he had, he had been uh, mayor in New York and um, had written this book on leadership. And uh, this quote comes from, from that book. Over time, I developed the romantic notion that one can find secret solutions in books. I intensely read about every subject I undertake, and I do so with the conviction that I will learn things about it that nobody else knows, end quote. So this idea of undiscovered public knowledge, and then uh, combine that with, with Rudy Giuliani's quote, I, I love that idea. I, I, I love that idea that, that there is information. It's all out there. It's all public knowledge. But it has never been discovered. It's never been connected before. And the people who are most likely, the people who are going to be able to connect those things are people who have the range, the people who have a, an interest in a variety of areas. They, they may be able to, to connect this public knowledge that is undiscovered and has never been put together. They may be the people who can connect it. This book gives example after example of people outside an industry solving a long existing problem. Um, or and, and of companies who open up their problems online and get answers from the oddest places. So these companies will have a team of people working on a particular problem. And this team, they are experts, they are specialists, they are the best of the best, but they cannot figure out the answer. And so these companies, they're, they're starting to, to put their problems up online and to seek answers from around the world. And the, the people who are eventually answering these problems, they're, they're coming from the oddest places. They're not specialists in the field. They're, they're, they're generalists. They're, they're, they're coming at it from a different point of view. They're using analogies of what could, ha- what could be a solution, and they're solving these problems. And I, I just love that idea. Of, it's almost like a treasure hunt whenever you're reading to, to come across ideas and, and try to connect them to different different things. So undiscovered public knowledge, such a cool thing. It's something I've been thinking about since, since reading this book. You're more apt to discover this with a broad range, and, and, and that could be of a broad range of life experience or a broad range of books you read, jobs you have, uh, different interests. So to recap, you may feel pressured to specialize early. This book would encourage you to not do that. Going general may put you in a more difficult situation at the beginning. Uh, for instance, there's there's not many job postings for dabblers. Job postings are, are quite specific and specialized, and they want a particular task most of the most of the time. But as you get further along, and then also when you think about where we're headed with artificial intelligence and algorithms, being able to wipe out a lot of common jobs. Uh, 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 jobs where you're doing a similar task over and over and one that you're doing on a computer where an algorithm can be written to do that same task and to do it better than you faster and 24 hours a day you're you're not going to win that battle but with range you will have a different set a different skill set approaching problems that no algorithm can match in the end Range will provide better thinking 
and a better ability to adapt to the wicked world that Epstein talks about. The key is to approach life as a deliberate amateur. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksandtitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode or uh, other other ones or what you thought of the book range or or, um, or the idea of being a specialist versus a generalist. You can also snail mail me. And if you go to booksandtitans.com forward slash books uh, forward slash contact, um, I have my, my address there and I receive letters. I, I love that. I love hearing about what you're reading. And, um, so love to hear from you. You can follow books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And that is both at books of Titans. And the website is also stock full of resources to help you find books and create your own reading list. I'll be back in a couple weeks to discuss another book from my 2020 reading list. So until then, keep reading, keep learning and keep listening. I'm out.